I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. If you want to avoid the ads and gain access to our Discord channel, live salons, as well as free admission to Team Human live events, like our upcoming evening in New York City with Mitch Horowitz in October, just go to teamhuman.fm and click on support. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, an opportunity to come together, stare into the looking glass, and learn who we are by engaging more fully with what we're not. Don't be afraid. It's time to meet our doppelgangers. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, author, activist, as well as my friend, ally, and inspiration, Naomi Klein. It's precisely in the most destabilizing, fiery, monstrous moments that the figure of the doppelganger is most used in the arts. Naomi and I are going to talk about her new book, Doppelganger, and take a trip together into the mirror world. You've tuned in on the right day. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. I don't usually get upset when I see the New York Times screw up. I mean, everyone screws up. Most of the journalists there, they're just trying to get things right, but they're pressured for time and scared for their jobs in a shrinking industry and sometimes flub up. But I don't know. I don't think there's any excuse for David Leonhardt's companion piece to an otherwise rigorous report on groundwater depletion in America. It was called um, Uncharted waters with the subhead, the threat to groundwater is a classic tragedy of the commons. So he explains, and this is the part that's right, how if everyone uses all the water they want, there won't be enough. That's why we're depleting the aquifers. But he goes on to call this phenomenon the tragedy of the commons, crediting by name ecologist Garrett Hardin, who is a 
nativist anti-immigration eugenicist. This is a guy who wrote as late as 1991, diversity is the opposite of unity and unity is a prime requirement for national survival. Or he says, popular anthropology came along with its dogma that all cultures are equally good and valuable. To say otherwise was to be narrow-minded and prejudiced, to be guilty of the sin of ethnocentrism. That which was foreign and strange, particularly if persecuted, became the ideal. Black became beautiful. Yes, he really wrote that. Or, my position that this idea of multi-ethnic society is a disaster? Well, the human species may not self-destruct, but what we like to call human civilization may. All right, so you get this guy? As for the commons, he wasn't writing about the commons. He was writing about chaos. His concern was overpopulation, particularly by non-Europeans who would use up all of white people's resources. So he argued that we should seal up the borders, stop giving any aid to poor nations, and to purge cultural diversity from the U.S. Otherwise, we risked what he called passive genocide of whites by people of color who used up all their stuff, right? This is not the mentor you are looking for. What he realized in a sort of Malthusian way is that if everyone takes whatever they want, there won't be anything left. And he called this the tragedy of the commons, right? Like if the farmers all brought their cows to the same field, the cows would eat up all the grass and there wouldn't be enough left and all the cows would die. That's not a commons at all. That's not what a commons is. A commons, a commons, it's a real thing. A commons is when a group of people make rules about a shared resource and then enforce those rules together. It's how grazing land was managed in late medieval Europe right before the commons was enclosed by private owners, you know, and they were made corporate spaces and you weren't allowed to bring your cows there anymore. A commons is the most appropriate and efficient way to share a resource so that it's not extracted and depleted for the sake of the market. Free market advocates and libertarians, they generally hate the idea of a commons because a commons removes whole swaths of potential markets from the economy. Like, once we realize we only have so much air to breathe, there will be a tremendous market in air. If we declare breathable air to be a human right and manage air as a commons, then that market opportunity is lost. So that's why Hardin's tragedy of the commons, which is not about the tragedy of the commons, but calls the commons a tragedy, that's why it calls for a rejection of the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Free market advocates love the phrase tragedy of the commons because the only alternative to a commons is a market. Put prices on things so the market can negotiate its scarcity and then people can make money off that. But there's a difference between a commons and an unregulated free-for-all. A commons doesn't mean everyone takes whatever they want until there's nothing left. It's precisely the opposite. By employing the terminology of an outspoken, self-declared white supremacist and eugenicist who believed that brown people were breeding opportunistically in order to steal our resources, Leonhardt and the New York Times do us no favors. 
I can only assume they asked him to bang something out in an hour and he didn't have time to find out who this Harden is or what he actually meant by the tragedy of the commons. The commons is not a tragedy at all, but the solution to over-extraction of resources by those looking to grow markets. Calling the commons a tragedy is like calling cooperation a form of failure, not to mention sharing, mutual aid, or social contracts. Whenever you see the disinformational phrase, tragedy of the commons, remember who came up with it and what it was intended to do. Our information space is like a commons, and it is our duty to protect it together. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I am so happy to bring you today's conversation. I've known Naomi Klein since the publication of No Logo in 1999. We've been on parallel tracks ever since, with me looking mostly at the impact of technology on our world and Naomi digging more directly into the way capitalism opportunistically destroys our environment and our lives. With books like The Shock Doctrine, This Changes Everything, No Is Not Enough, and On Fire, she's done more to bring these phenomena to our urgent attention and to clarify them and make them actionable than anyone I know. She is a hero and role model for anyone who wants to make a difference through journalism. And given the rigor and urgency of her journalism, I was a bit surprised and ultimately delighted to learn that she was working on a very different sort of book, more of a memoir or literary journey into her strange experience over the past decade or so of being confused with another activist, Naomi, Naomi Wolf. Her new book, Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World, chronicles her experience of being identified with and sometimes as a different female Jewish writer and activist, Naomi Wolf. Yes, there are two Naomi's. Naomi Klein is the no logo on fire disaster capitalism one. Environment, Bernie, critique of capitalism. Naomi Wolf, who I've also known since the 1990s, is a feminist author of The Beauty Myth and Promiscuities, who analyzed the way unreachable images of beauty were disempowering to women. And after a series of 
detours and controversies, became a leading figure in the anti-vax movement, appearing on Steve Bannon's podcast regularly to talk about vaccines enabling time travel, remote monitoring of our activity by Bill Gates, and the enactment of a world population reduction through forced sterility by the billionaires at Davos. And so Naomi Klein began to see tweets bemoaning the fact that she had become a conspiracy theorist and was saying these things. And while she was more upset than anything at first, I think paralyzed even, she eventually realized that Naomi Wolf was actually her doppelganger, her double, who had emerged the way doppelgangers do throughout literature and mythology at a point of maximum chaos. So rather than disowning her mirror world counterpart, she engaged. Talk about finding the others. Here's my conversation with Naomi Klein. I love this book. I love this book. I mean, and honestly, I, I'm, I really feel like this is your, this is your, and that doesn't have to be, why is superlative, but this is your masterwork. This is, um, it's so, um, it's it's this um, fully immersive experience. So instead of instead of you kind of just getting the 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 polemic and the facts, and instead of just being right, I mean your other books are right. You know what I mean you're so right, and that that's part of the pleasure of it. It's just oh my god, she's right, and she supported the right, and now I can go out and make this argument myself in an intelligent way. I, and I feel right. I feel right. Um, mm. This, I felt validated. You know, I felt val- experientially validated. And it's such a different value to get from literature, to, to feel validated as a human being struggling with this world of mirrors that we're living in. And to, to experience you that way, it was, um, it was amazing. Um, and, and, and a masterwork for this moment in particular, for a moment when so many of us feel so untethered and incapable of navigating a path through this, this house of mirrors that we're in, that it, it felt like, like a Jordan, that's what I wanted to say in my quote, like a Jordan Peele movie, in that it's like, oh my God, I, this is what is going on, even if it's not what's going on for you specifically. It was like, this is what is going on. It, it's literature, duh. Um, mm. So... <laughs> So Can first. I just pause and say thank you? <laughs> that is huge for me to hear from you, Douglas. And um, I, I also just want to disclose that you 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 were one of the early readers of the book, and mm. and um, and I did receive an email from you. You know, as one of the very first people who read it, just just saying some of these things to me uh, privately, and it was just so stabilizing for me mm. to just f- feel like this experiment had at least worked for you. I mean, I don't know if it's going to work for, <laughs> for, for, for everyone, but that, but that it worked for you meant a, a ton to me. Um, and I just really want to thank you for that. I mean, I want to thank you for your public support, but honestly, that private support meant so mm. much to me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I mean, for me, the, the, the other validation about it, and I kind of want to talk about this at the end of our conversation, if there's time, is the the courage to venture into uh, what I would call a more literary or artistic or personal or impressionistic um, style of writing while the earth is burning. To me, 
I've wanted to, there's some graphic novels I want to do. There's some fiction I want to do. There's some sort of creative work. And I feel, um, I don't know if it's guilty almost to mm-hmm. go do them because it's like, wait a minute, the world is burning. My child is <laughs> going to try to live in it. How dare I take the time to do something more impressionistic, more symbolic? Yet, I mean, did you have to, was there a moment where you had to, for yourself, justify a departure from what could be called straight up social justice advocacy mm. to do a project like this? Yeah, and I mean, I think I probably still feel that a little bit, but um, to be honest, it wasn't a choice between writing a polemic um you know, I'm right, here's what to do <laughs> book and writing this book. It was really writing this book or just disappearing into speechlessness slash silent scream. Like it was not, that was not going to be, be something I could do at that point, you know, and I really did kind of write myself back into a place where I feel like I can be part of a conversation. Like I really did not know what to say about what was going on Mm. uh, in that sort of second, third year of the pandemic. Um, I needed, uh, I needed to find another register for my voice because the old one just was not working for me. Mm. Um, And if I believed that just another argument about why we needed to do something about climate change was going to move the needle in any way, then I would have done it. It's the yeah. fact that I didn't feel that 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 led me to try to find some other way of writing. And and it really was honestly, um, I went back to school to write this book. I never studied writing. I never I never studied creative writing. I never even studied journalism. I just did it. I, I was a, you know I was an English literature and philosophy major, but I really just wrote for my campus newspaper and then got jo- jobs and then started writing books and and so I was pretty self taught. And suddenly grounded, as we all were, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I wasn't able to lead the, the the itinerant lifestyle that I have been leading for a lot of my adult life, which makes it hard to take on um, – you know, to take a course. I mean, I'm never in one place long enough to do anything yeah. like that. So I thought, well, th- this is a gift. And I should, I should enroll. Like Originally, my idea was like a lot of the writing schools were offering online courses, like Iowa was offering online writing courses. I thought maybe I can take a creative nonfiction course and get back to why I wanted to be a writer in the first mm. place. And maybe if I can't get excited about content, I can get excited by form. And... Um, and make a long story short, I just didn't enroll in Iowa's um, online courses. I think I felt like because I'm, you know, a, a somewhat of a, a known person that I would would feel too self conscious doing that. And so, my friend V, uh, formerly Evansler, a wonderful playwright, um, I was talking to her about this and my feelings of speechlessness and my desire to find another kind of writing and just at least get excited about writing if I couldn't get excited about what I had to say in that moment. And she introduced me to this amazing um, writing teacher uh, whose name is Harriet Clark, a fantastic fiction writer as well, but who has taught at Iowa, taught taught at Stanford. And Harriet took me on as a private student Mm. and we just, I went back to school and she had me doing writing exercises and and, 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 and this, uh, the idea for this very strange project 
which I assume you'll explain yes. at some point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it'll be in the I, intro. Ca- yeah, came, came to me, and and it, it did really start in that sort of way of like this form is exciting to me. It is exciting to me to, to use my own doppelganger and identity confusion to talk about all these different ways that we double ourselves individually and collectively, personal branding, optimized wellness, Israel-Palestine, <laughs> ethnic doubles. I mean, the whole, the whole shebang. And I thought that is weird enough to get me excited about form. And then the content followed, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great, actually. Because I mean, the way it it felt like what what had happened maybe was that the situation, although it's also the other way to tell the same story, is this situation that you were in um, with this living doppelganger mirror image phenomenon, it required you to take some action. In other words, this, this is a response, to, a way, this is a way of kind of digging out of, of that. Well, you either need to, you know, defend your identity um, and, and be the, you know, try to be the last Naomi standing, mm. you know, I am not she, you know, or <laughs> you, 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 you do what doppelganger books do, which is use the doppelganger as a mirror to, right. to, to understand yourself better and to understand the us that is not the they, um, because they're, th- those lines always get blurry. And so, yeah, part of it was just like, I went, I went, uh, deep in the doppelganger canon. That was another fun thing, you know, yeah. just, I just started reading books about, you know, I was reading Dostoevsky and Edgar Allan Poe and, and Octavia Butler and, and Ursula Le Guin. And then, in the end, it was Roth. In the end, it was it was Shylock. Yeah. That 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 <laughs> it was it was Operation Shylock that that got me so excited that I had to had to write this. But also, you said P- Jordan Peele, like yeah, spending spending those those lonely pandemic evenings um, watching doppelganger films and and realizing it really is this very very rich. I mean, you know, this as a theater person because theater people are always studying like the shadow self and the doubles and all this. Yeah. But this was a little bit new to me and it was fun, you know, and it had that thrill of the new, you know. Because the thing about, you know, I, I think maybe your listeners like last heard me t- talking about about the climate crisis and that is indeed what I talk about most of the time and I still do climate research. I had I had up a research center at a university uh related to climate justice. Um you know, this is this. It, it's it, it started to feel like I don't know how to just say the same thing over and over again. I have to find an I have to find a new entry, and 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 this felt this felt like a new way in. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like I'm leaving that world. It feels like I'm finding another access point. Yeah, and I hope I'm I know, helping other exactly. people find no, the, an access uh, point. Exactly. No, the the piece I want to write for I don't know who N plus one one of those places about this book is I want to I want to compare. Uh, your your like first books with Brecht and this book with Artaud and theater and its double and and really talk about uh, uh, kind of the the need for participatory felt um, personalized um, experience and then Artaud also wrote about the plague I mean it's just it's actually it's a really fun a really fun way into this. I'll, if I if I could justify the, I would the time. love that. And honestly, that I would love to read that. And and because <laughs> I'm still learning so much about this literature. And you know, as you know, the the most the fun part about putting a book in the world is 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 there's this whole other stage of learning all the things that you didn't 
you didn't know. Mm. And I knew that this material was going to be fun for people like you to think with, oh, you know? It is, that's um, the it, thing. It, it's fun yeah. to think and feel with is the other thing and feel with it, you know, because then you can move into these more impressionistic landscapes and get other kinds of insights, which are usually scary to do at a time like this for reasons precisely that are discussed in this book. And, you know, that, and that's, for me, what's going on here is how much are we allowed to allow our, our, emotional felt reality into our decision making and our our perceptual apparatus at a time mm. when it seems so many people are being led astray by emotionality and charisma um but we can't surrender but it that's to them. the that's the moment that's the moment when you most need to right. do it right um and because it yeah they are not being led into this world through facts. They're being led there through feeling. And, you know, that's one of the arguments I make in the book is that is that conspiracy culture, and I say culture, not theory, because I think there's a way that, cons- you know, I think some, there are real conspiracies yeah. in this world. And, and we have to be very careful um, not to not to be so credulous, right? That suddenly we're like, oh, anybody who believes that there's a, a conspiracy out there about anything is must be bonkers. I mean, that's that's not what I believe. Anyone who's read The Shock Doctrine knows that I spent a good part of my career actually documenting uh, real, like real conspiracies that we can prove. Like the CIA was involved in destabilizing Allende's government and knew full well that they were plotting a coup um, in Chile and on and on and on. And, and down to like more, you know, recent news items. Like it seems like uh, Tesla is suppressing information about how, about their battery range. You know, there's a lot of people in on that. So, so, so we can't, it's just that it's not like a nefarious plot to get the adrenochrome from, you know, a, a, a bunch of 12-year-olds. It's just the same old, you know, capitalist growth, profit, yeah. um, uh, uh, dominance, et cetera. So – but 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 there is a feeling that is being tapped into in conspiracy culture that at where there's often truth there like there's truth they're tapping into a fear of surveillance right it's not your vaccine app that is putting you under surveillance but maybe it is your phone and maybe we aren't dealing with that and we aren't dealing with the ang- all the anxieties that are unleashed by that um so yeah so right. we have to be willing to to access those feelings, look at the monster in the mirror, do all of that shadow work. Um, and I guess, you know, coming back to your question around like, should we be doing this when the world's on fire? I, I think part of what becomes clear when you dig into this literature and cinematic history is that it's precisely in the most destabilizing, fiery, monstrous moments that the figure of the doppelganger is most used in the arts, right? Like the first theoretical work uh, trying to understand doppelganger art was by Freud's protege, Otto Rank, the, psych- the Austrian psychoanalyst. He wrote it in 1914. It's called The, Do- the Doppelganger. Doppelganger. Yeah. Um, and and his translator speculated, well, it's it's probably no coincidence that this is the first year of the of the first world war, um, that all of this doppelganger art, art is out there in the culture, like the the student of Prague, and that people are trying to understand their their monstrous sides, their 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 their, 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 their most repressed desires, um, 
And then there's Chaplin, you know, um, in 1940 right. with the great dictator and this master work of anti-fascism. And he does it by, I mean, how do you implicate yourself more than making yourself Hitler and the Jewish barber, yeah. you know? Um, and here's Chaplin who kind of has this weird thing where he sort of looks like Hitler, like they both have the miniature mustaches and this is, you know, I mean, it, the layers are fascinating, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's good so, stuff. Yeah, no, it is. It is. So, I mean, this this kind of all started for you anyway, uh, specifically in, in 2011 around Occupy. And I remember that moment because I was writing articles kind of for Occupy, about Occupy, trying to help people in the mainstream understand that... Um, just because they're not saying there's an agenda doesn't mean there's not a purpose here. I was trying to say Occupy mm -hmm. is a new normative state. And, you know, the CNN mm -hmm. and MSNBC, everyone was upset that there were no demands. And I was like, no, 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 this mm -hmm. is not about demands. This is about a new way that we're occupying reality, mm -hmm. occupying a thing. Um, and then um, Naomi Wolf pops up with... Um, these these are the ten or whatever. <laughs> these are the ten demands, the official demands of the movement, and people are saying, "Oh, these are." I mean, because you would think of Occupy as a more Naomi Klein thing than a Naomi Wolf thing. Like, oh, here's Naomi Klein's official ten demands of of Occupy, and then I think from that moment on, we were off to the races, right? It was awkward, Douglas. I mean, you know, especially because, I mean, just for very niche reasons for me, you know, that I don't expect other people to understand, but I, you know, I have been um, in, you know, a, a kind of a movement intellectual, you know, since my 20s. And it's, an, it's, it's a complicated space to occupy to be the person writing books when people are out there in the streets. Um, you know, getting arrested and, you know, putting their bodies on the line and doing the hard work, often anonymous work of organizing. And then here's this person who's like in all the newspapers and getting all this attention. And because there's an inherent contradiction in that, and there has been since I published No Logo, just as the protests in Seattle were exploding against right. the World Trade Organization, um, where I am very careful not to speak for movements, you know, like I am, I am very careful not to, um, like always to be very clear that there is a difference between somebody who writes books about movements and somebody who is leading those movements. And, you know, it's something I care about. I don't expect other people to care about the fact that I care about it, but I care about it, you know? And so, um, you know, that you're referring to this, um, really true moment. Okay. Which I'll, if you will just bear with me, I'll, I'll set the scene for <laughs> you. Um, which was, it was, it was, uh, you know, the height of Occupy Wall Street and there was a march through the financial district. Um, and it was kind of a show of strength because the police were <clears throat> threatening to, to evict the park. And um, in the middle of the march, I needed to pee, went into uh, a, a public restroom in you know, one, of the, one, one of these big buildings. And I, I was in the stall and I heard two women talking about me like that, that you know, and it was that terrible you know, mean girl feeling of like, oh my God. <clears throat> and one girl said to, one woman said to another woman, um, did you hear what Naomi Klein wrote about, I don't, uh, about her? And, and they were just scathing about what <sighs> Naomi Klein had written about the movement. I don't think she understands our demands. And I was just in the stall, just frozen going, oh my God, what had I written? Um, 
And then the more I listened, the more I realized who they were talking about. And it was not me. It was her. Because like you, I had seen her waiving the demands that she alone had defined <laughs> based on some random surveys online. And um, so I came out and I said words that I would say many, many, many times in the future. I think you're talking about Naomi Wolf. Um, but yes, that is when, that's when, you, you know, I think when, when she was more clearly identified as somebody who wrote books about uh, feminism and, and childbirth and women's bodies, and I was more like the anti-capitalist <laughs> climate change person, uh, the, the, the lines dividing, dividing our areas of expertise were, were a little bit clear. I think there were, and, and then they went wobbly around 2011. But I think probably before that people, there were people who were just like, oh, there's a couple of loudmouth Jewish Naomi's just opining about things. Kind of lefty <laughs> and kind of anti-something. Yeah, kind of lefty. Yeah. Kind of have highlights Right, in their and act hair. all intellectual and <laughs> say some things I don't understand, but all right. Yeah, but but interestingly for me that, that her need to... Uh, to specify and characterize, this is what Occupy is. To take something that was, I don't mean nebulous, but not defined in that discrete way, and name it. Felt a little bit like conspiracy culture in general, which is, I mean, you and I might say 9-11 happened partly because of American policies. We trained the terrorists. There's There's... On the surface of the story, there is huge American complicity and conspiracy. It's enough. You, but the conspiracy culture goes on to say, and there's like dynamite set in the world trade. They come with the very specific thing. They kind of land on it. Or the brilliant piece yeah. you wrote about COVID conspiracy. It's like, yes, there's the, there's problems with the vaccines. There's problems with Fauci. There's problems with the CDC. There could be this. There could be that. Bill Gates and the availability of that. There's a huge amount of problems. We don't need to yeah. go to nanobots that respond to yeah. 5G towers. And once, But right. I understand because the systemic critique is difficult to hold in one's head. The idea of nanobots in the virus is easy. The systemic critique of Occupy is nebulous and unsettling. These specific demands yeah. is easy. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that's the the on the mirror side of uh, of the, the equation here is a culture that is uh, kind of incapable of holding the the holding the sensation, holding the systemic problem, which doesn't necessarily have a person to blame or a, uh, mm. you know, <laughs> a piece of. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I think, I think um, a systemic analysis is, is not going to offer that sort of Hollywood, like unveiling, like, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's all Charles, Charles Schwab's, you know, uh, fault, or it's all Bill Gates's fault. Um, the cabal, right. And this is why, you know, the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory is like the oldest and most recurrent conspiracy theory around. Um, and it's why it is described as the socialism of fools because, and I think we could say, all of conspiracy culture, in a sense, is the socialism of fools, right? Because in, instead of looking at a, at an analysis of, of of what 
capitalism was built to do, right, which is to maximize profits and grow at all costs, um, no matter the, you know, no, no matter the cost on uh, on people on the uh, on the natural world, um, you're looking for like a room somewhere where ten people just plotted the whole thing. And if we could just get rid of those ten people, then everything would be fine. And that's why people like Tucker Carlson and Steve Bannon love this and their billionaire backers because it actually is incredibly good for power to have people distracted on some far off, um, you know, if we could just prove, yeah, that there was the the dynamite that blew up, you know, the Twin Towers, or we could just prove, you know, that this was a plot between, you know, the Co- Chinese Communist Party and, and Bill Gates uh, to depopulate the earth or whatever, then you were not talking about the you know the conspiracies in plain view right the, the 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 people who didn't have to die because we didn't have to you know systematically underfund our public health care system and our elder care and we could have had schools with smaller classrooms and more teachers and more nature education and air purifiers and all these things that 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 actually were not just wear your mask get your vax not just individual solutions but actually collective uh, political responses right. Um, um, so, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, one of the things that, that, that the book gets into is like what it, it, it's, you know, it's shocking to a lot of people who used to know Naomi Wolf that she would be on Steve Bannon's podcast, you know, every day for two weeks, which, you know, happened uh, uh, in one period that pe- people might not know they published a book together. They put out T-shirts together. Like, I'm not saying she's a guest on his podcast. I'm saying they are actually, you know, in league together. Now, I think it's kind of not that interesting what she's getting from him, which is a very large audience. Um, she had already been kind of ejected from liberal left society. She'd made some pretty big you know, foundational errors in her in her books. She had been kind of, you know, I don't like the term, but kind of canceled. Um, and she's getting a whole new massive audience from these guys. But the, I think the more interesting question is, what are they getting from her? Mm. And... And what are they getting from other conspiratorial figures like that, including RFK Jr.? Um, you know, why does Bannon love RFK Jr.? And I think, you know, I think part of it has to do with the role that conspiracy plays as a distraction from those systemic critiques. But they also get, I mean, something from us. I mean, Steve Bannon, I mean, to my to my delight and horror, read an entire section of my book, Team Human, aloud on War Room Pandemic. And it was a mm. section of the book that I looked at, and I still, there's nothing I can really change in it to defend it from being used in that context, was talking about the, the you know, the, the human spirit, the grounded human local spirit, and our, our kind of uh, battle against the technocracy and the use of technology to program us into submission, and, you know, you meet your neighbor, yeah. and, you know, have bond together. I mean, a very, you know, put the social back in socialism kind of uh, uh, passage. And he read it as as basically evidence that someone who's very knowledgeable about the tech industry and tech world understands that they are out to get us <laughs> that they and, mm-hmm. and it's true on a certain level right these technologies are biased towards dehumanized things they're they're agents of capitalism they want to extract value and surveil it's shoshana zuboff you know with 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 a bit of my sort of humanism thrown in and i didn't know how to feel about that you know it's like 
on the one hand, a million look, people. I think you should, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hear it, but I think you should. Oh. Yeah, no, I mean that's very interesting, and I can I can relate to that um, to that out of body feeling. Um, but I don't think you should beat yourself up over it, except in the except to the extent that you are no like if it is the case that you are no longer out there screaming, making those arguments because they are, then that is something I think to be self critical about. Um, but there is that you know, moment, and you write about it in the yeah, book that once yeah. they say it, I don't want to say it anymore. I heard the the woman, but you need the, to say Ital- it extra I, more. It's hard. <laughs> the Italian dictator lady, the one they voted in, the um the dictator leader. See, that's I'm really precise. The far right, Giorgio Maloney. Yeah. Yeah, she, Georgia Maloney, she, yeah. I mean, it sounded like she was reading from my book. We are human beings. We are, mm, we are embodied. Yeah. We will not let cap, you know, money or technology. Yeah, well, with some transphobia and some, you know, massive racism. Right. Mixed and in. Yeah. Also, she said, we mm. as we are under attack as Christians and white people. Yeah, there's a little of that. I am a too. woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But right. So no, you're saying we double down. But, we reclaim yeah. it. Don't. Well, look. Yeah. Uh, well, because, you know, when I, before. Before I started writing books, uh, I was I edited a small left wing magazine in Canada called This Magazine. Mm. It, it, it which is a strange name for a magazine. It used to be called This Magazine is about schools. It was uh, six, you know, it was founded by sixties radical. They they expanded it from This Magazine is uh, from being about schools to being just an alternative left magazine. So they just changed it to This Magazine. Anyway, in the in the mid nineties, we did a piece on the the rise of the new right as represented by Gingrich. And, um, you know, there was a Canadian version of this or people like David Frum, who then, you know, went, went on to work for George W. Bush. And, um, we, we had a series of profiles of, uh, of these guys trying to understand what they're tapping into. And, and one of the writers for that issue, um, Doug Saunders wrote something about how, one of these figures, whose name won't mean much to Amer- American listeners, um, was was using some arguments that came from the left. <clears throat> and he said, you know, we can't be angry if he's using them because we left them unattended. <laughs> and uh, I always think about that, you know? It's a great line. Um, it is a great yeah. line. And if you think about Bannon, that is his skill. He looks at the issues and the people who we you know, air quotes, but like we liberal leftists, however you defined it, have left unattended, abandoned, ejected. Um, and he says, come on over. And it's not because he agrees with your book at all, Douglas. I mean, this is a guy who teamed <laughs> up with the Mercers to do like the worst kind of, you know, AI surveillance. You know, this is his jam. He loves surveillance capitalism, you know? I mean, he was deep in the Cambridge Analytica stuff. It's not about what he believes. It's about what he understands to be powerful. And he sees that 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 the issue, that people are frightened um, of what is happening with their humanity, and they should be um, in the age of surveillance capitalism and AI. Um, and he sees that there are a lot of broken promises by mainstream Democrats to do something about these tech companies. And in the same way that in 2016, he saw that you know working class blue you know oh, blue collar workers in deindustrialized areas had been abandoned by the Democratic Party, who said that they were going to challenge these free trade deals and just signed more of them. He 
he sees an opportunity. That's all that's happening, I think, with your ideas, um, you know, or my ideas. It's not about conviction. It's that he is a smart strategist, and smart strategists know that it, it is wise to look at who your opponents are abandoning and what issues that used to be theirs that they are now neglecting and just bring them into the fold, you know, and and of course, mix them in with the real agenda which is, you know, anti-immigrant um, and uh, now transphobia. But the real agenda, of course, is just power. I mean, he says it openly on the podcast, that the plan is to take power for 100 years. That's what he likes to say. <laughs> right. Right. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter that he says technocrats are a problem, right? So he agrees with the basic uh, and ugh, whatever we want to call it, the sort of the social dilemma critique, which is another set of problems of its own. That's my mirror world are, you yeah, know, yeah, the, yes. the, the, yeah. the, you know, I did, I did uh, uh, team human, they did team humanity. I do, you know, mm -hmm. present shock, they do time well spent. It's a, it's an interesting mirror world for me, but it's not as extreme mm -hmm. as what, as what, what you went through. But right, so just because um, Bannon agrees that the technocracy is out of out of control doesn't mean we should stop. But and, and the well, line we also the shouldn't line, you, take you, him at his word. I mean, I, I think right. he, he may or may not uh, agree with it. What he knows, right. what he, what he thinks is that other it. people out there <laughs> agree with it. Um, you know, right. I mean, same thing around surveillance. I, I don't think he's serious about that. Um, because his actions, you know, w would say otherwise. Um, but, you know, in the same way that he knew that Trump needed to say that he was going to renegotiate the trade deals and bring the jobs home and protect Medicare and protect Social Security. I mean, this is a this is an effective political agenda. And then what do they do once in power? They hand massive tax cuts to the rich, hire a whole bunch of guys from Goldman Sachs. I mean, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's rampant hypocrisy. But what he know what he knows is what people want to hear right and that and that it works or there's enough of a grain of truth i mean the line mm -hmm. in the book is great once an issue is touched by them it seems to become oddly untouchable by almost everyone else and that to me it was a uh i just it was one of those rug pull out moments like, oh, my God, I've been running from thing, running from thing to thing. It's like, OK, they said that I'm going to run on to something else now. You know, so I'm going to talk about Judaism. I'm going to talk about technology. I'm going to talk about this because they catch me and then recontextualize it in another way. And I abandon my own babies in that in that sense. You know what I mean? And you're yes. you're right. We, we've got to come back. So when yes. you do, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, um which one? The 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 disaster capitalism, and then we see um, the sort of the crazy mirror world critique of Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and those guys. Mm -hmm. The the beauty of that moment, the learning of that moment for me was you went and wrote a piece saying, "Hang on, everybody, this is the real problem." This is the crazy version of that problem. We must not let the crazy version of the problem take our eyes off the real one you know and that mm -hmm. was um you took a lot of heat for that i remember on twitter all the the conspiracy people were saying oh she's part of the thing now she's do you remember well, that they're thing? always saying that oh yeah oh. well <laughs> i mean i i daily get harangued uh, and be uh, uh, and told to read my own books um but were you already in <laughs> were you already in no your... that was the moment that was the moment yeah oh, was. that was the moment when they when they when they decided that i that that i was a lost cause 
Um, mm-hmm. But was that the moment then that you were deciding to then investigate the mirror world? It seems like it was like that was when you were saying, you know, for me, it was what I called fractal noia back in my book, Present Shock. I was like, look, Mm -hmm. we're getting really good at connecting the dots, but sometimes we then create a picture that's not real. I I called it fractal noia. It's this paranoia, you know, because we want there to be a story to it, even when there may not be a story, when it might just be a lot of shit happening in a systemic way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the drive for it was, narrative. It was, it was definitely one of the moments. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, a little run in. Um, I won't get into the details, but with the Great Reset, um, where, where, and, and I'm, I, the thing that, about the great, great Reset that was so interesting to me is unlike these other conspiracies that we like, that we, that we've been talking about where they are unproven, right? Like where people are saying something that they're without facts to support them, without evidence to support them. Um, the Great Reset is 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 another beast entirely. It's it's it, it's it, it it it's a it has all the forms of a conspiracy theory, right? Like I found this and look in that. It's gonna except for there's a website and explainer videos up on the WEF website. So it's like you know I say in the book like what is this drive to reveal the not hidden? You know, <laughs> like right. like if this is a conspiracy theory, it's the only one with its own explainer videos starring the King of England, like literally <laughs> um, King Charles, then Prince Charles, like was explaining what the Great Reset. And only, only, and the only way that you could sort of see this as a revelation is if you've never heard of the World Economic Forum before. And like this whole thing is, is new, right? And like what? Like every year, like a whole bunch of like elites go up on a Swiss mountaintop and then like try and, and you can understand how people get like really worked up about it. Cause the thing is, is it's a, it's an important reality check. <laughs> like, yeah, that is really quite bonkers. We should not put up with that. But uh. the fact is it's not a conspiracy. It's actually just the way the world works. Right. Um, so that one is very, very interesting to me. Um, yeah, that piece was called the Great Reset Conspiracy Smoothie. If anybody would like to look it up, but yeah, I think that that did that yeah. was the beginning of my interest in trying to pick these things apart. And then, you know, like for me, I did go through that phase where I was like, okay, so does this mean I can't write about the shock doctrine anymore because it's it's been so kind of polluted and turned into this doppelganger of itself? And now, I you know, is it unusable? And then th- things still happen, like you know the the, the uh, horrific fires on Maui, and I still hear from grassroots activists who say there is real shock doctrine going on here, and it would be helpful if you know you could help us amplify this. You know, um, like there are real estate speculators who are coming in, you know, before the you know the the the, the bodies have even been found, trying mm-hmm. to get people to sell their ancestral homes. There is still a whole agenda that is being pushed down people's throats. And, and that's when I realized, no, we can't give up our, like you said, like we, like we cannot give up what we truly believe in just because they are polluting it. Nothing would be a bigger gift to Steve Bannon and Tucker Carlson um, and the, and Georgia Maloney and the rest of them if, 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 if people on the left believed that we needed to shut up about the things that we believe in because they have, you know, co-opted parts of them. I, you know, right. in fact, I think it's, 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 it, you know, if, if it's possible to bring people back from these worlds, it's going to be because there are robust movements that speak to the, the same feelings that are being warped and exploited by the Steve Bannons of the world, but actually provide real, um, 
responses that are going to improve people's lives, like debt relief or universal health care. Um, yeah, not to be a boring right. leftist, Which, but it is. Right, I but am it was part me. of our mutual attraction <laughs> to Bernie, even because it was like, okay, Cute, yeah. you know, and that's why you know I had no problem with Bernie Sanders going on Joe Rogan. It's like. Bring them, tell, let, give them an alternative, go right in the belly of their beast and, and say, no, 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 we're all united. We're, you know, but that's a whole other story, but you know, we're workers. We're, no, I'm we're, with you. I was, I yeah. was, I was, I, I absolutely supported Bernie going on Rogan going on Fox, you know, I mean, I think, I think, I think when you're a political candidate, you're trying to get elected, you <laughs> want to reach for those people. Um, yeah. and, you know, whether or not you want to you know, be excited about the endorsement. That's a separate debate, but going, making the arguments, absolutely you do that. Yeah. And the way that you decided to bring us through this, it's interesting. There's this, in the book, there's this moment where you're like, oh, I think it's a regular thing where your dog sees itself like in the, in the storm door, it sees its mirror um, and like barks at itself every night when the reflection's just right. And you each time you go and you say, it's okay, baby, it's all right, it's all right. It's this, it's this great moment. But for that to be the that's, turning point. That's, by the way, her dog poganger. That, that's what I'm most <laughs> proud of in the book. <laughs> I'm but trying to put a, the word dog poganger into the culture. And I'd like your help with that. All right. I will use it. We'll call this episode <laughs> dog poganger. Um, but as a moment for, as a moment for insight, it's for me, that was the gateway to why you went in a literary direction with the project. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't the the tax report from Monsanto that sent you that would it was your dog looking at its reflection that's that set off the journey, which then <laughs> brings which is why it ends up being the such a more uh, I'm not going to judge it like that. Such a holistic, um, experiential journey rather than just a factual journey. Do you know what I mean? It, it, you dimensionalize it in a different way, which then ends up, uh, there's people, if they don't read the book, they're going to think, oh, this is a hit book, like a hit piece on Naomi Wolf, which it is not. It is so empathetic to what your doppelganger is experiencing on the other side of the mirror because it's you. Do you know, <laughs> it's 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 not you, but it is. You know, and um, you're you're allowed to do that because you don't have to agree with her. This is a story now. It's literature. Mm -hmm. This is like closer to, to to Moses and monotheism, right? Then, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like it's like that. It's 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 a a a a. It's this this uh, 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 mental emotional adventure that you go on that then gets you to that place to see the thing. So then, though, it makes it creates, and I hate to use this word, but for me, it created a safe space to start thinking about stuff that I'm not allowed to think about. Right? Hmm. So mirrors. So here's mm -hmm. the mirror that that. Although I think now you answered this with the early part. So. Nationalism, the extreme nationalism, and the the is a version of identity politics for mirror people, right? Yeah. And it it for me it contaminated and and nullified some of the identity politics going on on our side. But there's a way. So if we see, okay, in mm -hmm. the mirror identity politics looks like nationalism, which are bullshit myths and supremacy. And But how do we then, 
my impulse, as soon as I see it, is okay. So we got to stop doing identity politics on our side because look what it look how the the healthier response is is what <laughs> hmm. um well i mean i think there are there there there's a lot to learn from why their form of nationalism is so dangerous um and i think it's because it is um it's just kind of it's it's a supremacist version of nationalism, right? Like it's not about pride, you know, pride in place. I think you can have pride in place, pride in community, pride in culture, um, without it being a supremacist uh, um, idea that my culture is better than your culture, which you know begins the slippery slope down to, and right. therefore I can you know annihilate your culture and and um, and so. Yeah, I think I think I, I think identity politics can, you know, to quote Olufemi Taiwu, it can be it can be a bridge um, of connection of of you know experiences and histories of oppression is connective tissue in this world, right? Or it can be a wall. It's a choice whether or not it is a bridge. Uh, to understand to, to, of connection between people, which is not to say that it that that bridge um, erases difference. Just because I have a bridge, just because I can connect with you, just because I, I can identify with an experience, just because I can empathize, doesn't mean that I'm saying it's the same. That I <laughs> am you. That my experience is the same as yours. Right. That we're gonna all come together in some mushy uh, sameness. Right. Um, but it, but but it's it's but it is different than the kind of proprietary trauma, right? That I try to grapple with in the in the section of the book around Israel Palestine, around like you know I, I of you know I look at Israel as an example of of um, what Carolyn Rooney is a British uh, scholar of the Middle East calls um, doppelganger politics, right? Where you mm. define yourself against the other, where you have this sort of um, foundational division of not them. Uh, me because we are not them, right? Um, and of course, there's these deep kind of um, uh, psychosocial mimicries going on, right? By an oppressed people, the Jews, who have experienced that all over Europe, um, being the other and uh, and and being the evil twin of Christianity, uh, uh, being uh, you know the 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 devil to 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 the godly, right? I mean that, and and then getting this sliver of land where this gets to be reenacted on another people. Um, yeah. And but I did, you know, I've been returning to these themes, you know, my all my writing life, and. I tried to write it in a different way. I tried to write it in a way that has more self, a little more self-compassion, like yeah. um, because I think that I have in the past been more just in denunciation mode. And I, I'm not saying there's no room for that, but I'm just saying I'm just trying a different register and seeing if it lands a little bit uh, with a, with some people who maybe wouldn't have been able to hear a denunciation. Right. Um, but it yeah. ends up being more revealing, more personally revealing and exposing, which is the 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 I mean, the triumph of the book is to prove that, look, if you go here, it ends up better 
You know, if you're willing to actually I'm do so the work. I'm so glad that you and, see that. You know what I mean? You showed up. Mm. You showed up in a different way for this and in a way that I'm, I do in my talks and I'm often scared to in my writing to actually mm. show up and, and wrestle out loud and reveal mm -hmm. the actual thoughts as they, the, the, the devil and angel on the shoulders and the, the actual yeah. conversation as it happens. Yeah, yeah. But then to do it and it's like, and we end up okay at the end of it, to me is the healing power of the book. It's like, no, no, this actually is gonna be okay. Don't, don't do uh, don't do what they're doing. In other words, to keep drawing the line. Yeah. But it's yeah. so hard. And I mean, it's demanding, right? Like what yes. this, this moment demands a lot from all of us, right? And, and that, you know, to come, back to what you were saying at the start around like, is it, a, is it a distraction from the fires or is it another way into them? Right. And yeah, I, I, I feel like in, you know, you, you wrote this to me personally about this, this sort of the need to, to use the whole kind of arsenal of the arts, but also of, of, of the, of personal experience and, and these sort of painful, I don't know if they're confessions or what, you, how you want to describe them, but I don't think you can ask people to do hard things if you're not willing to do them yourself, you know? Like, I think right. that, I, I think I, I am trying to model a vulnerability, a self-criticism, um, I, I, what I, what I'm trying to not do is, is be outside and wagging my finger and saying, you people right. out there just worried about your personal brands, just worried about, you know, your clout, <sighs> your this, your that. We're all in it. We're in it, you know? Um, and, and, and I, and, and I don't think we can hear it if it, if we're hearing it, if, if, if it's somebody pretending they're not in it, if it's somebody pretending they're outside of it and better than it. Um, right. Because it's too hard to be implicated in these, in, in, in these, um, you know, absolutely horrific systems. Like we, you know, that, that, that all, everything we're talking about is a way of not looking, is a way of, of not looking at what it means to be alive today when the, 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 the crimes of the foundational crimes of our countries are being unveiled when the crimes of our futures that we are personally implicated in, in this very moment, in the energy that we're consuming, having this conversation, you know, in what we are wearing and what we eat, like we are in it, we are in these systems. And COVID, I think, you know, those COVID years, those plague years where the, the unveiling of the lockdown classes dependency on, you know, hyper exposed, you know, so-called essential workers who are actually sacrificial workers. Um, you know, it was just, everything was just pulled back and we, and our implications like, like in this, in this necropolitics, right. we couldn't hide from it anymore. Right. And so I think that that moment where you have the, the, the racial justice reckonings of 2020, you have climate change becoming now not future. You have the pandemic unveiling all of these inequalities and, and not being able to hide from them anymore. It is no wonder that a whole bunch of people decided to run into fantasy land and say, fuck no, I am not looking at that. Right. I'm going to look at anything but that. But it's way too easy to say, well, we're the ones who are just looking at it all the time because a lot of us are just looking at Barbie, you know? Like a lot of yeah. us are just watching streaming television. So like, let's be honest that it's hard for all of us and there's lots of different ways to look away. And, and so, 
um, I don't think you can have a, I don't think you can talk about something like that unless you're willing to just really lay yourself a little bare, right? Right. Which then makes the critique of the other, whoever's on the other side of the mirror, uh, more valid. I mean, it's, it's, I was concerned that people might think when you write about doppelganger that one of two things could happen. Either what I said before, that people will think, oh, this is a hit piece on Naomi Wolf, or worse, that people will think you're saying there's good people on both sides. It's just a mirror. And we on the left have to remember that they're human beings, you know, yes. in the mirror land. And let's let's be, I mean, we should be, I, I am sympathetic or empathetic or something, whatever the right word is. I'm, I have compassion. I was there at the moment that I've always thought was the moment that sent Naomi down, down Wolf, down the wrong Yeah, I was path. wondering and if you were going to share. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I talked about it with you once. And it was, yeah. it was, and I've told the readers about this moment, but not that she was involved in it. It was at John Brockman, the agent's house, where um, Richard Dawkins and other scientists, materialist scientists of his ilk, are arguing with Naomi. And Naomi Wolf is saying that she thinks that materialism doesn't can't explain the entirety of our reality. And that's fine. I mean, Wittgenstein and many of philosophers have brought us there. Human beings have systems of meaning. Materialism is an assumption. They're could be you don't have to go you know uh, uh, into into science fiction or craziness to think that there's stuff here that can't be explained by a purely materialistic determinist lens and they were laughing at her and I tried to defend mm. her and that's why I was the one who brought up Wittgenstein <laughs> terribly it really didn't work at all um, but they laughed at us they called me a moralist they called her superstitious her own husband was there not even defending her in that in that moment and it was so wow. I was red faced she was red face it was so humiliating to have important you know the leading world scientists say that we were idiots and if you don't have room if consensus culture doesn't have any room wiggle room for those who see a little differently who go there's something mm -hmm. else there's a little there's maybe humans are invested with soul maybe consciousness did precede matter maybe we don't know everything that's going on. if you don't have room for that where's it gonna go it's gonna find mm -hmm. allies among the crazies you know in the mm -hmm. in the worst of places you know so mm -hmm. when when we have a, a i try to write a piece on medium just saying there's reasons why people might, this is before COVID, there's reasons why people might be concerned about their kids having vaccines. And if we don't at least acknowledge those concerns, we're going to yes. push them further into conspiracy, which of course is what happened. So in some ways, yeah. I feel like she is the, uh, also a victim. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends, I'm sure you do too, who went QAnon, who went over. Yeah, people, and you at least also wrote a piece that had a big impact on me when I, when I was doing this research around the role of addiction, like social media addiction, right? So I think mm. it's, I think that's one piece of it, um, of just being kind of shut down and shut out um, and having all of these unsayable subjects. And mm. then where it really gets toxic is when you have, um, you know, a really deep need for those dopamine hits. <laughs> um, so I think, especially when it comes to like the, 
the leading figures here, right? Because we're here, we're talking about like industrial scale misinformers. And there's a distinction. There's the people who are really leading the misinformation and, and they're the people who are just consuming it mainly, right? Um, and the reason why it's effective is because there's millions of people who are just consuming it, who, who, who are clicking, who are buying, who are subscribing, right? Because this is filling something in them. They're not necessarily getting the attention, right? They're, they're, and, right? And those are, I think, very, very different incentive structures um, that, that we need to unpack. But I think when it comes to the people I'm writing about who are the, the who, who are getting a lot of traction, a lot of followers, like getting their follower counts tripled, quadrupled, you know, um, it's it's an addiction. It, there that there is something that's going on there. Oh, I mean, I don't like to psychoanalyze, but that maybe you could talk a little bit more yeah. about about what or at you've least, observed. You know, there. it's a, it's a feedback loop. If nothing else, yeah. you know, you mm-hmm. kind of sur- you 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 surmise something. You go, well, I bet that if you get the vaccine, I bet you shed vaccine poisons everywhere you go. So if the vaccine makes you sterile and vulnerable to 5G and then you're teaching in a classroom and speaking, the vaccine's getting off, coming off you and going on to the kids, you know, and when you do say that, it ends up some school board or whatever or running a place in Florida will end up banning teachers who uh, have been vaccinated, right? So the words have meaning even if they came about, and I get it, they do come about you you guess something, you add to the story just a little bit, and a whole bunch of people comment, yeah, that's right. It's like the ultimate yes and, um, you know, improv yeah. actor. Oh, improv. yeah. The yes, yes and is a beautiful feeling inside, yeah. especially if you've been like Naomi mm-hmm. was, and a lot of people were kind of cast out from, you know, the chattering class culture. You're not allowed to write mm-hmm. for the Times op-ed anymore. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, Elon and his kids are, are behind you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we've lost yep. journalists to that, though. I mean, I, I remember what it's like to write something for an editor and they make you cut out those two paragraphs that are your favorite ones. And they say mm-hmm. no. But now what happens is they cut out those two paragraphs and you go, fine, I'm taking my ball and going on Substack. <laughs> right. And we've watched a lot of mutual friends go there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's why. Like, at, as an earlier draft of the book, I made like a list of a lot of the, the the people who probably people are thinking of right now, and I ended up taking it out just because I thought, you know, people are good. People, everybody has their own version of this. Like, if you're in the yoga right. and wellness world, you have a different list than I have, right? Um, you know, if you like, if you're in this sort of alt spirituality world, you have another list of people who really, really changed during COVID, you know, because they started to get that kind of magic carpet ride, a uh, digital magic carpet ride when, when they said particular things. Right. Um, so I, in the end, I didn't a- end up listing those names, but I'm sure that, 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 that your listeners and, and viewers are fill, filling in the blanks themselves. And, mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is not do- just about her. Right? right. And nor is this doppelganger thing just about me. I mean, this is like, or I think in the, in the age of AI, right? Um, right. We, I think, I think probably everybody listening is going to have the experience of watching a video of somebody who seems to be them saying something that is not them, um, and that that chill of the doppelganger. Only it'll be, you know, di- digitally produced. 
Yeah, no, a lot. I've been, I've been saying, uh, you know, first they came for the cab drivers. And I said nothing because I'm not a cab <laughs> driver, right? And they were basically getting doppelganged first by, you know, mm-hmm. autonomous vehicles, which aren't really happening. But and, and it forces the cabbie, the London cabbie in particular, say, who knows the whole A to Z, to think, well, what's the difference between me and that thing in Mirror World? But right now mm-hmm. I feel like... AI, it's not that AI is coming for us all, which it may be, but I can't really attest to that quite yet. It's it's still so pathetic. But the, the AI, even as a thought experiment, forces us to go, are we creating a mirror of the whole thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that is scariest because it is a mimicry machine, right? And so what are the implications for new thoughts, um, you know, and it gets marketed as, oh, it's going to solve all these things. And and it's just the opposite. We just are just, it's just a remix culture. It's just, it's just, it can't actually do anything new. And, and um, yeah, I, I, but, but I think already artists are having that experience of having to compete with um, a doppelganger, AI doppelganger version of themselves. Um, right. And then, and, I mean, and then, yeah. and- and the problem goes away if we're willing to, again, just challenge capital. I have so many artists who are like, oh, no, they could do this, they could do that. And I'm like, you've got to challenge the underlying assumption yeah. that your artistry is a job, that you're employed by the art market. You know, In other words, AI, and if we could push through it, it could become our salvation in, in the sense that we realize, oh, this whole money system, this whole thing, this whole notion of employment and that art needs to be scarce in order to be valuable. And we got to break the whole thing. It's the same with Social Dilemma and all those things where your students, after watching the movie, said, well, God, haven't these guys heard of capitalism? <laughs> you know, the, the, it's yeah, so and I, hard. I mean, this is why I, the whole discourse and I, you know, kind of just replicated it, but I try to be judicious around like, it is not, the problem is not the machines. The problem is not AI. It is a particular business model that wants us to believe that it's just the machines that are doing it on on their own um, when it is a, you know, a handful of extractive companies that are just grabbing all of human creation and privatizing it behind, you know, new, new, new digital enclosures. And that's what we have to talk about. Right. But it's funny, though, that that when you talk about, you know, AI as kind of the the civilizational level doppelganger, mm-hmm. you know, there's all of our individuals yeah. and we have the man on the train or, the, you know, the the the, the various uh, uh, Jungian that you find your double and engage with it, that now when we do it on a civilization wide level, when it's the fact that it's gone uh uh, th- that it's gone meta is kind of forcing Literally. us again to look at, well, what does it mean? <laughs> you know, what does it mean to be human here? Uh, yeah. You know, it collectively, and it reminded me, I started to think about, you know, what were the Aztecs and Incas thinking when the conquistadors came over? And it's like, they look like human beings. They have two legs. They speak out of their mouths, but they're an entirely different thing. They're you know, they're they're trying to do you know what I mean? It's like uh, that finally that we are experiencing even the West, we are experiencing ourselves as indigenous style beings with the emergence of a mirror double finally to make us go, oh, wait a minute. Mm. You know, that we may get to collectively have the experience that you got to describe on a personal level in the book. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know if you there, there's um 
uh, Nick Coldry and uh, Ulysses Mayhas wrote this paper a bunch of years ago, Data Colonialism, um, looking mm. at the, 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 the these parallels. And I think they've got a new book coming out. I should probably have them on to talk about it. But you yeah. know, there I think there are lessons to be learned from anti-colonial struggles. Like if we're understanding these as new enclosures and understanding the self as a new extraction site, um, uh, you know, and this and the self as an extraction site is hardly new. It's just a new form of extracting uh, um, self identity, labor, uh, imagination, image. Um, then, then what is there to learn from successful anti colonial struggles? Because there have been many um, uh, about how to respond to a moment like this. Um, and maybe it isn't just well, we all just need to kind of get with the times, because <laughs> that doesn't yeah. necessarily end well. No, no. And then, <laughs> I mean, finally, we're, we're abused yeah. your, your hour here, but I, I don't even know how to say, if I found myself a little bit sad after reading mm -hmm. the book, thinking, if we lived in a different time, if there wasn't such an intense urgency to our predicament, might Naomi Klein write a novel? <laughs> you know, I want to yeah. read a, a novel. I want to read a play. I want to oh. see, I, I so want to see you. It almost brings tears to me. I want to see you oh. go there because it's so, <laughs> you, you are so, you are so gifted in those, those, when the passages go personal, when they go, it's, um, I can't, I can't imagine. Um, and there's time. You're still young. There's still time. Um, would you see it as like, would there need to be a break in the action for you to do something like that? <laughs> would there need to like <laughs> capitalism get solved? And then would you consider? I don't consider, see it that way. Honestly, no, I think we desperately need art to, to, believe we are in the moment we're in you know I, I I honestly feel like we've hit a little bit of the a wall with argument and evidence I mean sure we still need to do it and don't tell my bosses at the university because the whole thing is edifice is built on this idea that if we could just publish another paper proving that it really is you know a problem and that 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 then maybe laws would change and maybe reality would change and that pipeline is busted you know um yeah. because this moment demands so much change um and there are such powerful vested interests in preventing that change. But there's also like a lot of hunger for that change. I mean, I think this was part of the heartbreak of the pandemic pivot from that first year when so many people were saying, uh, I want to change how I live. I don't want to go back to what how I was living before. I want... I like I I finally have time to think. Um, you know, those of us who were lucky enough to pause, right? Um, and yeah, it was hard to have kids home, and it was hard to juggle all of that, and there was so much pain in it. But there was a slowing down, and I believe that that slowing down is part of the reason why George Floyd's murder entered people's hearts in a different way. Mm. Entered um, it, uh, people who were not black felt that in another way. I, and I think part of that was just slowing down, you know, and, 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 and being able to go into streets and protests that weren't filled with cars and all of, 
you know, all, all you know, and 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 all those sort of pandemic cliches of hearing birdsong and all of that. Like, you know, I I think I don't think it's going to be evidence that is going to shift us. I think it's going to, I think there's a huge role for the arts that whether I am part of that, whether I, you know, can push myself to, you know, to, to go further. I mean, I would love to, because, um, you know, I, I, I think I've lost a little bit of faith in, in what I can do just with argument. I think there's still a role for it, but, I don't think the problem is that we don't know how fucked things are. I, I think I'm allowed to say that. Um, yeah. I think that, um, I think, I think things have gone so far off the rails that we don't actually believe in our own reality. And what art can do is slow it down enough to re-experience the, the, the sort of unbelievable realities of these intersecting and overlapping emergencies. And, to do it in rooms filled with other humans is mm. the greatest gift of uh, that, that we can give people, right? And that's something that theater can do, and right. and to a lesser extent, you know, film film can do. Um, but we need it, like we 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 really do. So yeah, I I, I don't know, maybe maybe, I'll, maybe I will try to push myself. I, it means a lot to me, Douglas, that that, uh. that you feel that way about me. <laughs> well, I really I did have fun writing you. this book. I do, and 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 probably even more gratifying too. I feel that way in a renewed way about myself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Good. I feel like it's okay. It's I'm gonna do. I mean, I've been people who listen to the show know I'm threatening to do theater. It's like, oh, I get it. We fucking need it. That's the doppelganger, yes. the most simple doppelganger. You're sitting there, and there's another human up on the stage. We create the division. We build a doppelganger situation for yeah. the learning that takes place. Yes. So, yeah. Fuck and it's yeah. embodied. Embodied. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Oh, that, that's All right. exciting. So <laughs> be it. The case closed. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for writing this. Thank you for taking the risk. Thank you for publishing it. Um, it's 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 meant the it's meant the world to me personally. And and I assure everybody who reads this, just read the actual book, not the article, not the interview, not the thing. Read the act. There's you can there's books that you could read the excerpt. This is not that. This is like saying mm -hmm. it's like what you're gonna read the excerpt of making love with your 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 partner for the first time no don't read it actually do it you have to do it okay thank you thank you so much <laughs> bye everyone and thank you for being on team human you can find out more about naomi klein at naomikline.org and get her book doppelganger a trip into the mirror world wherever fine books are sold why do we say fine books? I mean, I guess wherever fine books like hers are sold, along with books that are unfine, I guess, wherever fine books are sold, I don't know. This is a weird thing. We just forget it. Just get her book, Doppelganger, A Trip Into the Mirror World. You can also find out about Naomi Klein and all of our guests at teamhuman.fm, where you can become a member of the team. Team Human is edited, and I wonder if he'll edit that out. We'll see. Team Human is edited by Luke Robert Mason and produced by Joshua Chaptelin. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps and mirror peeps. Take care.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.